Welcome to Cyberbytes the podcast. I'm your host Joseph Cooper, co-founder of Aspiron Search. Today's guest we have Brett Galloway, CEO at Attack IQ. Brett is an experienced entrepreneur and executive who has brought together technology, product and business expertise to innovate and deliver a stream of successful product businesses over his career. Enjoy the episode. How are you, man? Doing great. And how are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Busy away. I think uh, we had the biggest Q3 to date as a firm and uh, Q4's revving up nicely. So doing really well. How about how about you? I know I missed you at Black Cat, didn't I, unfortunately? How you been? We've had a great summer. Um, and our quarter is nearly done with one month to go. So we're having a great quarter, too. Um, mm-hmm. Had a great summer. I was able to go to Europe. Um and uh family's doing well too so all's good i appreciate nice. your asking was you in london or was it was it where did you no we went to paris and florence been to london oh, okay yeah yeah and uh whereabouts are you actually based at the moment where's home I'm based for you? In the san francisco bay area so i um, work in live and work in los altos california we're a fully virtual company which is great yeah nice um, so the office you're looking at is actually my work office too <laughs> quality well, great. Look, before we talk about Attack IQ and what you guys are getting up to, with all, with all my guests, I like to go back to where it all began and sort of how you got into to the industry. So I know you've got a very interesting story. Yeah, so I um, I came over here to the Bay I grew up in Central California um, to go to college and never left. And it turned out Silicon Valley was a great place to build a career. Who knew? Um, and so I ended up largely down the startup path you know first startup i joined as a software engineer by the time i left i was running engineering we built a large-scale wireless data network for laptop communication and this was in an era before before cellular 3g so there was no way to get data on the road um and so um so i built that and rolled it out um, a guy that worked for me and i ended up leaving to build another company together a company called packeteer which I'm for, for which I'm forever grateful. Um, it was a great experience, um, financially very rewarding. Um, that actually, the sale of Packetier stock actually paid for the house that I'm sitting in. So nice, be cool. Um, and and uh, and I ended up leaving there to. Um, so that that company, I was co-founder and COO and VP of engineering. So I was a software engineer when I did real work. And then the next company was I joined a CEO, which was joined a friend of mine. So it's not founder of that. It's a company called Airspace. Hmm. And that company grew even faster. And we ended up, um, um, I swore that I wouldn't sell that company. And then I sold it to Cisco. And uh, so I had to explain to the employees how it was that I came to sell the company. Now, the reality is they just made me an offer I couldn't refuse. But what I explained was not that Cisco had acquired us, but we had acquired their enterprise wireless business to accelerate the achievement of our billion dollar revenue goal. Um, and they, they were the market leader in that business. Um, Airspace was merged into it. Um, they asked me to run that. So my job at Cisco then was to integrate the thing that I'd just been running. And in fact, it did accelerate the achievement of our billion dollar revenue goal. Um, and that was great. Um, I ended up staying at Cisco a number of years. You know, I had uh, promised them two years with the acquisition. I stayed six and a half because they kept promoting me and I kept working on stuff. I had been in and around the security business for my whole career. In fact, the inspiration for Packeteer was Cisco buying a company called Network Address Translation, which was the foundation of their PIX firewall, which is the foundation of the ASA firewall. Uh, but I've been more in networking. But at Cisco, 
Um, I ended up responsible for security and the CISO of Cisco worked for me. Mm -hmm. um, and that was incredibly illuminating to me because I had always been a vendor, right? You know, as a vendor, you build stuff, you sell stuff and the customers use it. And John was a practitioner. And so it was incredibly um, interesting to me to get his perspective on cybersecurity. Interesting and terrifying. <laughs> and the terrifying part was John was doing a bunch of work with you know, other companies, the government on cybersecurity. And he read me in on a bunch of work that he was doing. And I left those briefings terrified, absolutely terrified. Because I suddenly realized, oh crap, this is not a them problem. It's a we problem. We are all vulnerable. You know, if you think about the Colonial Pipeline hack, right? Fuel delivery was delivered for lots of people who probably never even heard of the company Colonial Pipeline. They never knew they were dependent on a bunch of poorly defended computer systems. That's true of all of us. We're dependent on thousands of companies that are poorly defended and, you know, in that case, you know, the, the bad guys apologize. They didn't even mean to disrupt operations. You imagine what would happen if somebody really meant ill. And, you know, and the, the part of the reason I was terrified is I had sort of a deep belief that, you know, the security um, problem in enterprises was unsolved. That in fact, you know, cybersecurity exposure was, was pretty bad. Um, and this, is, this isn't a statement about our products, right? I mean, it's a very hard problem. And obviously, in the intervening decade, companies have invested enormously to address this problem, which is great. People should. It's a, and I was read a study earlier in the year of CFOs. And this is a period where people are still hugely worried about a recession. And the CFOs identified the number one risk, not economic conditions, not a recession, but cyber attack, cybersecurity, which tells you something about the business risk here. Um, and so I, um, I ended up talking to this company, TACIQ. Um, you know, and I, I ultimately left Cisco. The last time I, um, last time I quit, John wasn't able to talk me out of it, and and did a startup germinator. I was happily working on that. Um, you know, and I had been working for a long time. My kids were growing up, so it was a chance for me to actually, you know, just have more time with my kids, not working full time. Um, but I met this company, TACIQ. And Attack IQ uniquely um, got my interest because it actually provided a viable answer to the question, why does cybersecurity so poor and what can we do to fix it? Now, I know many companies say this, and ultimately, you know, the problem is solved by all of us working together, but Attack IQ really illuminated a blind spot. And that blind spot is that if you think, if you think about yourself as a CISO, Right, the number one job is to defend the organization against attack, and and so in order to do that, you know, what do you have? You have a bunch of vulnerable assets, and you know, you work really hard to try to make them not vulnerable, but they're always going to be vulnerable, and that's why you put in layers of technical security controls to detect or block the adversary's attempt to try to get at those vulnerable assets, and the problem is that those security controls fail way too often. You know, Verizon's estimate was 82% of successful breaches should have been stopped by an, by an existing control but didn't. And, you know, that, that, that sounds like sort of a hard to believe statistic given, you know, where the industry has gone. But if you think more deeply, you can understand why that is. And the fact is, you know, if you think about, you know, simple control, like an alarm system, maybe an alarm system in your office, how do you know the alarm system's working? 
Well, very true. Got to try it. Mm, yeah, yeah. And you, 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 you know, you try and it works. That's great. If you try and it doesn't work, why might not it work? Well, it might not work because the sensor got disconnected because you know the guy painting, you know, clipped the wire or something. It might not work because the battery ran down, right? It might not work. It might work, but the communication link to the monitoring system is down. How would you know any of those failures had happened? Well, you got to try it. Now, the technical security controls that enterprises deploy to defend themselves against the adversary are like the alarm system, only they're more complicated, they have more failure modes, and they exist in much higher volume. And the reality is people just don't test them very often. You know, we have, um, uh, you know, people will certainly run penetration tests or run red teaming, but the, but the amount of testing that people do ends up being, you know, like one, two, three percent, four percent per year, meaning that, you know, errors can persist for years and years and years and years and go undetected. Now, it's pretty easy to knock the plug out of the wall on something. It's pretty hard to knock the plug back into the wall. So once broken, they tend to stay broken. And the truth is, you know, red teaming is a great practice, but red teaming is never going to test enough at enough scale to get to, to deal with this problem. There's really only one solution to the problem, and that is to use automated testing. And that's what we do. Okay. So the mission of Attack IQ is what drew me to the company, to make the world safe for compute by addressing this enormous blind spot. Yeah, nice. So what category? Is this like a breach and a attack simulation? What, what category does Attack IQ fall under? A great question. So you know, Gartner named our category breach and attack simulation. Mm. Um, and so that's the category we compete in. You know, the name is is descriptive of the technology. And in fact, what we do is we... Um, much much as my example of the alarm, right? The way to test whether control is working against some adversary behavior is you replicate the adversary behavior and see what it does. And so that's the attack simulation part. But our core use case is focused on technical security control validation. Got it. And it's that use case. And, and it, there's other technology after deploying order to do that. You know, you think about the alarm case, it's not just enough to, you know, break, you know, move the window and see if the alarm goes off. You all got to listen and see if the alarm went off. So, you know, we also do integrations to your SIM or those controls to see whether the detection or the um, prevention actually happened. And so what we end up reporting to our user then is a, is kind of a closed loop assessment of a particular control in the context of a particular adversary behavior. Got it. So you've been there, what, five, six years now? How long have you been? Five years in November. Is it five? Um, yeah. Anniversary. Yeah, living the dream, living the startup dream. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. ran an enormous org at Cisco, but I, I frankly like startups better. I was chatting with my son um, last night and he works for a startup that was acquired by a big company and he was going on at great length about, you know, how, um, how different yeah. <laughs> they <were> culturally yeah. <laughs> speed and, um, responsiveness and care about and alignment and so on. And, you know, it's just, you know, it, it's very hard to change the world in a large company. Whereas, you know, our, our objective at Attack IQ literally is to change the world, right. Address, you know, major cause of cybersecurity breaches. Yeah, such a unique uh, DNA working for a startup. So how? So you didn't co-found uh, Attack IQ. How, how old is the, the business, and when did you then eventually join? So the company is ten years old, roughly. Yeah. I joined five years ago, so well into their journey. Yeah, you know, isn't that important to me that it be my idea? I mean, you know, I I come up with good ideas. I come up with bad ideas, but frankly, ideas are kind of overrated, right? 
I think Edison said Eugenius is, you know, 2% inspiration, 98% perspiration. That's absolutely true, right? It's the execution of the idea that matters, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, I like the team, I like the mission and, you know, and I liked the um, problem space. I mean, I think, you know, clearly, you know, we're, we're not a charity, so we're in business to create value for our customers and create value for our investors and for ourselves. And that's, that's the deal. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's a great experience, you know, at both the Packetier and Airspace, it was wonderful to be able to talk to an employee about how, you know, they were able to use, you know, stock sales to pay off their house or, you know, accomplish some other life objective that they would not have otherwise been able to do. How have things evolved over the last five years? Well, we've grown the business a lot. Um, you know, our product has gotten, you know, a lot more sophisticated, um, you know, we have historically sold, you know, mostly to large enterprises. You know, we sell software to pretty sophisticated security organizations so they can actually stand up a security control validation program. Um, you know, we've recently announced uh, some, some pretty exciting products um, that I think really mm-hmm. extend, extend the reach of the technology. Um, you know, one of, the, one, one of the mega stories in security in the last couple of years have been services, right? Security is complicated. You know, we're seeing... Um, you know, the growth of, you know, MDR, managed service providers, you know, who are able to help many customers deal with the complexity of defending themselves better than they could do by themselves, you know, given the complexity of the solutions, given the obvious talent shortages, et cetera. Um, And um, so, you know, our, our solution was very, very large enterprise focused. And, but we realized, you know, as, as we've continued to work, we've built a lot of intellectual property around sort of the practice of security control validation. What kinds of things, if you test them, you tend to find broken, um, et cetera. And so earlier this year, we launched a product called Attack IQ Ready. Yep. So it's a breach and attack um, simulation as a service solution where you, you just deploy, you know, one or a small number of our agents and we run it. So the experience is much more like a pen test. You know, we, we, we hire, you know, a company to do a pen test of our stuff periodically. Mm-hmm. And what, what do we get? Well, we hire them and they send us a report and we count on them to know what to test. And we hope they did a good job. Now we know what to test, um, at least at baseline level. And so the customer experience of Ready is they install this to get a report. Um, and so obviously the idea is to be able to extend the reach of our solution to companies that can't really stand up their own program. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, you know, this, this, this also opens up, you know, new routes to market for us as a solution. It's much more suitable for partners. Um, so there's a lot of interest in solution from, you know, managed service providers, uh, cyber insurance providers. Um, and so we're uh, pretty excited about that. Um, yeah. You know, even enterprise customers have a use case for this. You know, we have one customer, for example, that, um, you know, is not able to play agents in their entire infrastructure. And so, um, and this, 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 this really leads into the last product that we deployed at, uh, uh, that we showed at Black Hat, which is Attack IQ Flex, mm-hmm. which is a downloadable agentless solution. So you basically just download a test, run a test, and get a report. Um, and so we're pretty excited about that product, too, um, you know, as a way for people to get a taste of our technology, uh, for enterprise customers, ability to test in places in their network where they can't deploy agents, um, kind of, kind of a kind of a test in a briefcase sort of solution. Um, and, you know, we, we think, you know, the combination of our enterprise product, Ready and Flex, really democratizes testing. 
you know, and really, really make security control validation something that anybody can uh, can do. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the CISOs are looking to to save time and money, right? Um, I did see on on your website you are quite open about how you are saving money for for your customers. How exactly do you do you do that? It's a great question, um, and we we actually hired analyst firm to answer the question, how do you create value for customers? Value measured in dollars, not value measured in amorphous marketing speak. Mm. And there were three basic buckets of value that, that, that our customers identified. You know, one was, you know, obviously you know, improvements in their risk posture, and that's great because that's the whole point of the company and the product. So I'm glad they said that. Two was um, actually our attack IQ Academy. Um, you know, Attack, Attack IQ enjoys a deep relationship with uh, the MITRE Center for Threat Informed Defense, which is the public-private partnership that MITRE created to further develop the attack matrix. We're co-founding research partners of that. And so, um, so that's one way in which we give back to the community. Another way we give back is our academy. And so this is an online learning community of highly consumable, but very high quality training content in various practices in and around our product. You know, for example, you know, one one thread there is we will tend we'll do like training on the various projects that the center miter center does. Um, you know, we have a we have a we have a learning path on purple teaming, obviously learning path on miter attack, learning path on 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 baths, of course. Um, and these these are these are not attack IQ commercials. This is actual consumable mm. content for credit. And so anyhow, so what what they what they identified was. The avoided cost of security training by using Academy was a significant value driver. So that was that was that was cool. Yeah. And the absolutely. third source of third source of value was staff savings. And the staff savings they identified was staff savings on the red team. And that's I mean, okay, I guess. I mean, we're not, you know, it isn't really our objective to reduce people's investment in red teaming. I think red teaming is a good, important practice. Um, but certainly, you know, to the extent that you know people can optimize their budgets, sometimes they did that. The second was improvements in cost of purple teaming. You know, and purple teaming is an integrated exercise between the blue team, defensive team, and the red team to, to, to assess security posture. You know, and clearly our product in some sense is a purple team in a box. So it's, it's, it's you know, going to be much cheaper to run a security control assessment with Attack IQ, and you can do it much more often, of course, than a purple team exercise. But the third was the most interesting, which is savings in the SOC. Security Operations Center. And I frankly was surprised. I mean, like, what? Where did that come from? But but if you think about it, you realize that, um, um, you know, as a company, you know, we're very focused on false negative errors, right? The case of a real attack that's slipping through the net. And of course, those are, those are, the, those are the cases that kill you. So that's really important. And so, you know, what, what, what does our product do? It puts in place a feedback loop so people can reduce false negative errors. But it turns out with a good feedback loop, you reduce false positive errors as well, right? Cases where it's, a, it's not an attack, but it got detected. But your SOC staffing levels are largely the product of your environment size by your false positive rate. So if you bring the false positive rate down, you bring staff staffing levels down. It was over 30% reduction. So it was, it was a material reduction um, just, just by having a good feedback loop on, on your security controls. Nice. With such a big mission and such a big problem space like what's obviously we're at the there are other startups popping up as well i know you're like a bit further along series c there's a few series a popping up as you know but um 
as cyber attacks are obviously increasing it's getting more sophisticated like how are you guys evolving with that attack iq it's a great question um you know the you know the good news is that adversary behaviors do not evolve anywhere near as quickly as vulnerabilities for example so new vulns pop all the time right i just updated my iphone because of some new zero days you know, whereas, you know, certainly the, the MITRE attack matrix is expanding, but it's expanding much more slowly. Um, and that's good because you, you're deploying security controls. And if the if the adversary behaviors were evolving rapidly, you'd, you know, you wouldn't have anything you could do because those controls just can't evolve that quickly. Um, so adversary behavior is more stable. And, and furthermore, the fact that the MITRE attack matrix exists means that you know, our customers don't have to trust that we somehow have like deep and proprietary knowledge of adversaries. The truth is, full industry knows and adversaries know what techniques work and they keep using them over and over again. So the first answer is some sense there's, there's really nothing new except, except pervasive failure. Um, you know, and to that point, you know, we, we, did, a, we did a survey of our customers um, and over 75 5% of the customers, no, yeah, over 70% of the customers reported at least 25% of their controls weren't working at all. And many, many more than 25, mm -hmm. right? 30, 40, 50. I mean, one customer reported on a blended basis, 65% of their controls were not working. You know, and this is not, this is not Joe's pizza parlor. These are large, sophisticated enterprises that have pervasive security control failure. So, so I think that, I think that's actually the, 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 the real story here. Um, you know, and the vendors obviously are you know, continuing to adapt, and we're you know we're continuing to develop, you know, extend our content library. Um, but our real focus as a business is on you know um, just extending the scope of our solution so our customers can test more effect, more customers can test more effectively. Yeah, was there any feedback as to why those particular enterprises did have so many such a high percentage of security controls not working? Like, was there any? particular reasons for that i mean it's 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 all the reasons right sometimes um you know the, the products are misconfigured all too frequently people assume that you know, products are magic boxes but they need to be tuned um you know we, we did a we did um we our dominant deployment model is SaaS, so we actually have um, access to our customers test results obviously we protect those very carefully but we have mechanisms to anonymize that data and analyze it internally. And so we did that. And we, we, looked, we looked at a series of very well-known techniques. And in this case, it was against endpoint controls mm -hmm. um, that we know for a fact, you know, the, the, the major brands of endpoint controls can detect, right? So we didn't pick anything funky or new or weird. And still there was a high rate of failure in the field in a customer's production environments. Um, you know, and it sort, of, it sort of comes back to the staff savings thing. The truth is in order to use these products, particularly detection controls, you really have to get an understanding of your gun, right? You really need to know what behaviors are make sense in your environment and what don't, and you got to tune these things. And the point is without a good feedback loop, that tuning does not happen. Um, and then if it doesn't happen, then, you know, you just leave it in your default setting and the false positive, you know, which is tuned for low false positive rates. And then lots of stuff slips by. Insane. So, so that, that's one reason. Another reason is, you know, these all, you know, all IT systems are subject to entropy, right? Things break, things get misconfigured, things get turned off. Um, 
and that just happens at some rate over time and so things fail in some cases sometimes even the products are bad you know we had one customer you know who tested their dlp solution and it just didn't work did not do what it said on the side of the tin so they were kind of upset but i'd say you know this is not really about vendor testing you know it's really about you know equipping our customers to be able to use you know what are you know in the main good solid products but complicated products um in in an in a in a in a really effective way yeah awesome brett is there anything you'd like to to finish up on in particular i know you've obviously announced that the two recent product releases anything else in the pipeline coming up anything else you'd like to finish on well so good question you know pro probably the last thought is you know i i do think um this is an important enough problem that we're we're starting to see um moves on the regulatory side you know, historically, the compliance frameworks for cybersecurity have been almost exclusively capability oriented. You know, look, for example, at the NIST framework, right? It's basically, do you do this? Do you do this? And it's just tick, a list of check tick, marks. Tick, yeah. Those check marks are created by interviewing people. Um, and increasingly, you know, third parties and regulators are coming to realize that a green check mark doesn't actually mean that much, right? Is it shelfware? Is it plugged in? Is it working? Um, and those are all the questions that, you know, obviously um, we answer. Um, and so, you know, CISA, for example, you know, has, you know, um, is now routinely recommending U.S. government cybersecurity agency, CISA, that companies do production security control validation. Um, you know, in Europe, DORA is requiring companies to assess their security posture. Um, so we're seeing in a number of countries, a number of ways um, organizations realize that um, it's really important to make sure this stuff is, is really working. And this, this, this certainly explains why there's also interest in our solution for cy from a cyber insurance perspective. Uh -huh. Cyber insurance underwriting risk is high, prices are going up. And so the only real way to mitigate underwriting risk is with visibility and measurement. Awesome, Brett, thanks for coming on the show, my man. And uh, I wish you all the best of success and hopefully for another acquisition. Well, you're welcome. You know, my in the end, you know, I'm not focused on an acquisition. I'm focused on creating value for 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 myself and my customers. You know, if we if we sell the company and we can accomplish the mission, that's great. If we go public and we accomplish the mission, that's great. But it's ultimately about the mission. Love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's show, please like and share with your friends and colleagues as this is really important for the show's reach. If you'd like to be our next guest or are interested in Aspron Search's staffing solutions, please get in touch directly with me or reach out to us via our website www.aspronsearch.com.